0: This is A Mission-Focused Life with Tim Olafson, co-founder and executive director of Another Child Foundation. Up next, Tim will speak with this week's special guest, offering special insights on how you can live a mission-focused life. As hey, this week's guest, we have Dr. Kit Ford. She is the founder of Our Girl's House in Davenport, Iowa, and she's also the executive director there. Uh, Kit was also one of the five people in the country who was given the award, the Jacqueline Kenny Onassis Award, for Outstanding Public Service Benefiting Local Communities. That's a mouthful, but that's quite an award, quite a recognition. And we'd just like to welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Kit.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Tim.
0: It's good to be here. It is good to have you here. And uh, we're kind of reversing the tables because when we first met, actually, you were interviewing me on a local radio, or local TV show. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really remember a whole lot about that, but I know I was scared to death and you did an awesome job. Leading me oh, you to did a and, great job I'm try I'm to try hopefully do the same thing with uh, with you today. Um, so anyway, so we're just going to jump right in. And but before we get to all the wonderful work that you're doing, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your your family, where your situation is today? Um,
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, we're our house. We are a healing house for women in Davenport, Iowa. Um, we provide free holistic services for women healing from violence and abuse, different types of therapeutic services. Um, but we're also a bath and body product company, um, as you can see, um, in the back here. Um, and so we're um, very purposeful about all of our products being survivor made, um, and very purposeful about making the best quality products that we can. Um, Argo's house is named after my grandma Argo, who was also a survivor of um, violence and domestic violence specifically. I'm from a small town in North Carolina. Um, but you know, my grandmother, in the midst of um, the reality of abuse in her marriage, um, she was also a local deacon in the church. And so she's the reason I believe in God, the reason I believe in love. Um, I know if there was a safe place like Argo's House for her back then, she may not have been in that abusive situation most of her adult life or most of her life because she married at the age of 14. Um, But I also know that she would love to be a part of a ministry like this. So I'm grateful that we're able to do something in her name like Argo's House.
0: Yes, it's exciting. Uh yeah. Tell us a little bit about your family. I know you're, you're married to a, to a pastor uh, and mm-hmm. you actually have that background uh, yourself. So tell us a little bit more about you and and your family.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, yep. So my husband is a pastor. His name is Reverend Dwight Ford. Um, he leads Project Now, which is a organization um, in the Quad Cities that's committed to assisting people who are in impoverished situations. So they help with housing, with Head Start programming. Um, they assist with, um, you know, different types of, of, of bills and electrical bills and things. Um, and he also leads a um, church called Grace City Church here in the Quad Cities. You know, the church has been a huge part of the reason Argos House exists. Um, The church assisted us, believed in us before anyone else believed in us. It was God and then it was the church, (laughs) you know, Gray City Church that helped us get our first mortgage here. You know, we were able to pay off the mortgage within two years, but they were the ones that put a property on the line so that we could be in this property. Um, And Gray City is also the one that's assisting us as we transition to move into our first industrial kitchen and larger communal space, um, prayerfully this summer. Um, and so, yeah, my background is in um, violence prevention, uh, community development. Um, I've served in different countries around the world, um, working with um, gender, gender-based gender violence issues, worked, working in HIV and AIDS programming, also in special education programming, um, have done that work through Teach for America, the Peace Corps, and other programs um, in my mid-20s years ago. Um, I accepted my call to ministry. So I went to seminary in Berkeley, and then also in Evanston. Um, And, you know, much of the work that I've done has been focused on um, trauma and healing. Um, When I was a Peace Corps volunteer, I became a survivor of an extremely violent sexual assault. Um, And so during that time, part of my own healing journey was figuring out what would help me in my healing journey and Um, moving forward um, in the midst of post-traumatic stress disorder and and other things, um, post-trauma. But in doing that research for myself, you know, I gained this commitment um, to help other women and figuring out what would help them in their healing and their own uniqueness. Um, and so that's why we have Argos House, you know, we have a variety of different services so that each woman can figure out what works for them. Is it therapeutic animal support? Um, is it, you know, support groups? Is it one-on-one counseling? Is it art therapy? Um, is it literally making bath bombs in the kitchen? You know, um, you know, having the safe space to lament, but also to create and also to laugh you know, and so, you know, that's what Argos House is about. And for me, you know, the ministry, I find that when people are committed to different types of ministry, oftentimes it has a personal connection, either it's something that has impacted them, some type of experience that they had with another person, be it a stranger or someone that they're, that they love, but in some way they had, we had a personal experience with some issue um, where we really want to be involved and, and, and um, commit our life to, to serving in that way, not just for a day, but as part of our lifestyle and way of giving back to the, to the world, but also in helping to build up the kingdom of God.
0: Yeah. yeah. So whenever someone's overcoming trauma, like in which the ladies and women that you help uh, community is going to be play a, hard, a huge part of that. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. there's also an individual type of healing too, but tell us how the community uh, really is so important to, uh, to bring people together, uh, and mm-hmm. heal together. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that oftentimes when people are healing from trauma, so many emotions can happen. There's fear, there's grief, there's self-blame. Um, there's so many different emotions that can, can, can happen, um, But when you find a safe space where people you are believed, where your voice is validated, where you are affirmed, where you realize that you're not alone and you don't have to suffer in silence, you know, it becomes an integral part of, um, you know, being able to remember and mourn what you've lost but also being able to reconnect with those things that give you joy because you have a community to do it with, you know, you don't have to do it alone. Um, And so I I find for us, you know, in the midst of COVID-19, we, um, uh, many of our services have become virtual, um, but, you know, every day before COVID-19 and prayerfully post COVID-19, as we roll these vaccines out, you know, there are women and children that are coming in and out that are connecting with each other. I find that there, you know, we have a community, but there are communities within communities where women, because of their personalities, because of their social location, they just gravitate towards each other. Um, and so community is key because you realize that you don't have to suffer in silence. You're not alone. And you're affirmed in a way where you're literally and metaphorically hand in hand with other people who understand what you've been through because they've experienced um, the reality of, of trauma and violence as well. Yeah, so as this
0: COVID, as a pandemic kind of subsides and people start re-entering into a community again, do you see the needs for your services increasing, unfortunately? Or, mm-hmm. because I know there's probably some things that are going on that are maybe are not being, brought to light so do you suspect mm-hmm. there's going to be an increased need for your services as you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. normal?
1: yeah well unfortunately there's always a need for there's always for a long time been a need for services for survivors of domestic violence sex trafficking rape incest molestation you know i find right. that um you know I, I don't know the specific statistics but you know nationally um, the reality of domestic violence has, has gone up during the pandemic just because people are having to stay in their homes, people are working from home, children have been home, um, you know, job loss, addiction, depression, all of these different things have impacted the numbers of increased domestic violence during the pandemic. Um, and so will numbers increase post pandemic, Um, I'm not sure. Um, I know that numbers have increased during uh, the pandemic as it relates to domestic violence because of those factors.
0: So so I love interviewing people and I knew when we started to do this podcast I wanted to have you on because uh, you just have this great energy and you have this you, you can impact people. You just have that personality to where people are drawn to you and I know you can affect people and I know that that excites you to be able to Uh, to influence people and to be able to help them move past their situations Uh, so what Mm -hmm. what excites you every day is there a story that you can tell that kind of that motivational fact that kind of inspires you Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what inspires me what excites me um no, I mean, my, my kids make me smile daily. I have very small children. They're four and five. Um, they're sweet, very sweet kids. Um, but I think the work, um, you know, our first survivor employee, Allie, I, five. she doesn't mind if I, I share a story. You know, she um, has been journeying with us for three years. Um, she came um, literally um, eye swollen um, because of abuse, fleeing abuse. And she was in another state at the time. Um, had lost custody of her children and, and other things. And I mean, it's, it's, it was a continual back and forth and so many power dynamics as it relates to her ex-husband. Um, but now three years later, she has uh, equal custody of her children um, she has a, she's gainfully employed, you know, I hated to see her leave because she was an amazing soap maker, um, <laughs> but she's doing, I know, I'm like, oh, come back, you're amazing, um, but she, you know, is is, is doing well, um, has several healthy relationships, you know, relationships with her family and her children, um, and she's just doing really, really well, mind, body, and spirit, and so when you see someone who literally comes, um, you know, with With uh, abuse mind, body, and spirit to a place where they're in such a dark place, to where they have been able to find their light, their joy to the point where they're mentoring other women and giving back. Um, you know, it's really um, it lets me know that the work is not in vain. It lets me know that you know, we can, have to continue with this work as a community you know every single day um, you know we have some type of connection with a a woman survivor you know I find that volunteers who assist with the house as well you know even though they're not here for services they're also here oftentimes because they've had some type of personal experience so the note to know that even in the midst of COVID-19 at Argos House can still be a safe place for people you know to come and to be um, and I also think for me, um, you know, because I have my own personal story of, of trauma and healing and experience with trauma and healing, you know, there's the scripture and theologically we can wrestle with these scriptures. Second 2 Timothy 2.12, you know, talks about if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. Um, you know, there's scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about you know, suffering, not being in vain and, and, you know, all of these different things. And so it lets me know that even my own suffering was, was not just a dark place. It Part of that and part of experiencing that was so that I could help, you know, other women in leading and starting a place like Argos House mm-hmm. um, because of, because I've experienced certain pain from being in communication and relationship with women in my family and because of my own suffering from being a a trauma survivor and a survivor of an extremely violent sexual assault and even going through a trial where my assaulter you know received 46 years in prison you know because I've experienced those things you know I'm able to understand really what the women are going through um, and work to be patient and journey you know, with them every step of the way. And a lot of times these situations, it's not something that, you know, it's not like, it's not like you say, oh, I'm on this journey of healing. Everything's going to be great as soon as I wake up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, oftentimes these, the healing journey, you know, things that we go through as trauma survivors, it's a lifetime of, of journeying. it's a lifetime of healing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we journey with each other and work to be patient with each other one day at a time. Yeah,
0: the thing I've as I've done these interviews with, with people like yourself, the people who have overcome situations in their past, it, there's usually a moment, either a defining moment, but even more regularly, there's somebody who invested time, time into them um, to help them overcome. Uh, did you have anything like that? Did you have a person that entered your life that was kind of that the person that helped you, you know, go to that next level and really deal with the issues that uh, you had? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I mean, I have a, a a praying family because so many of the people in my family are ministers, um, and so I, I do think that. I mean, my mom always says the prayers of the righteous abeleth much. And I, and I do think that there is something to that, the power of prayer and being in community, even if that community is family. Um, I also had, you know, I hadn't talked to her in a long time, um, but when I first um, was medically evacuated from the island that I was serving, you know, hands cut up, had to have surgeries, hadn't slept for days because I didn't realize what was happening to me was post-traumatic stress disorder. And so, mm. you know, I had this long journey of, of darkness, um, you know, but the first week I was back, I was put in touch with a um, counselor and she was a, a therapist um, and her name. Um, you know, she, she, I won't say her name, but, but she was amazing. And she journeyed with me for years Um you know, even when I wasn't in Chapel Hill, she um, literally, you know, I was still in graduate school. Um, I had accepted my call to ministry and was moving forward in seminary. You know, she literally would talk to me every, regardless of the day, regardless of the time, regardless. She she was really, you know, just there for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful that, that God put these, angels into my life, even, even if it was just a season, you know, to really help me, you know, there were other things that, that were helpful for me that were part of my kind of therapeutic healing services. Like there was a support group that I had at the rape crisis center in Chapel Hill. And we all used plants. Like they gave us plants. It was a horticultural therapy support group. And I remember getting this peace lily that we pruned, that we groomed, that we nurtured. Um, And this plant became so special to me because it was like this metaphor for me for healing and what could be possible, you know, once I got to the other side of this really dark place in my life. You know, so it's these things that were important for me that happened years ago, but that still were really impactful for me and being able to dig myself out of that dark place, you know, for me, I think the missing link after going through different types of therapies was actually going back to the island where my trauma happened mm-hmm. and reclaiming some of those dark places. So I, I went back to every spot where I had seen, you know, my abuser um, or, you know, literally the place where I was assaulted to go back and to allow myself to remember those moments that had happened but to reclaim what was in that space so when I went back instead of seeing a butcher knife I saw um I I saw palm trees and the sunshine and monkeys like jumping over the fence (laughs) you know you know so you know instead of seeing this walkway of darkness with this guy on this bicycle I heard the neighbor calling me, inviting me into their home to have a meal because I hadn't seen them in years, nice. you know? And so I had to go back and kind of, you know, reclaim some of those dark places that to, to know that they're not dark anymore, you know, and that it's okay to let that light back in and what happens to me will not happen again. Um, and that love is possible. Light is possible. God is here. And what, what happened to me is not in vain and, and I can move forward. I can move forward in my healing and I can help others move forward in their healing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the key takeaways. We talk about a mission focused life. It's really trying to encourage people to take that first or next step in whatever situation, whatever skill sets, whatever passions they have is to, to step in there and and meet the needs of other people. And it sounds like that's what happened for you. And that's what we like to all of our listeners to, to think about is what skills and passions has God placed into me where I can utilize those skills to to build a kingdom first, but also just to be there uh, for people. And it sounds like you're doing an amazing job uh, and doing that at um, Argo's house. Uh, tell us a little bit about your campaign, the nonviolence campaign campaign. Is that something you're still working mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've worked. Yep. Yep. So 10 plus years ago, um, I started working with campaign nonviolence. Uh, I was a seminary student in Berkeley, California. Um, And so I started studying, um, you know, my path has been a little different. Instead of moving forward on an ordination track um, within the Methodist church, for which I was a part of at the time, um, I moved forward as a hospital chaplain, but I also moved forward as a nonviolence trainer, a teacher of, of peace and nonviolence and social justice. Um, So I started working with an organization out of Oakland called Pace Bene Nonviolent Service. It's a Franciscan organization. It means peace and all good in Italian. And so I started uh, teaching from a curriculum called Engage, Exploring Nonviolent Living. When I first started with them, I was working with young people uh, in East Oakland, um, helping young people understand Uh, in the midst of gun violence, that there are creative nonviolent alternatives that they can embrace. And so I work with different community centers where art and music and painting and dance, all these different things became nonviolent alternatives for these young people that could have turned to gang violence. And so that was my first kind of, um, you know, start with Bene and and working in nonviolence, but campaign nonviolence, check out campaignnonviolence.org Um, You know, for seven plus years, I was the um, organizer where organized over 7000 peace actions around the world um, campaign nonviolence is usually during the International Day of Peace Week, which is September 21st. Um, And so everything from marches around peace to peace vigils to you know, concerts to nonviolent direct actions around social justice issues. Um, and So, you know, the work is important, you know, in order for us to do change, my husband always says, um, love is just, what did they say? Love is justice um, that shows up in work clothes or something. (laughs) You know, love and justice go hand in hand. You know, if we're working in charity and love connected in the name of Christ, justice and issues that we're passionate about you know it's important to speak up about those things and, and work the best way that we can you know to be a part of justice filled love initiatives as well so campaign non-violence is one of those where we connect the dots between war poverty the climate crisis as well as racism
0: mm-hmm. yeah and those are all important things and if we do them it seems like we always tend to go towards we're so divided in this country, even on policies of, you know, race and stuff like that. We we need to do it in peaceful. We need to have these conversations. I think that the civil discourse in this country of not being able to have conversations about very important issues, I feel is the is very much hurting this country. Uh, we, We we take sides too easily. We don't listen well enough and we end up in battles. And I think your idea of love and peace and and is the approach, because I think if we just get rid of those other things, the things that Satan puts in into to our ways, then I think that we can come to a much better place uh, if we can just do mm-hmm. those things, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah,
0: what would be a key takeaway or piece of advice you'd give our listening audience on what they can do, that what can they take from your story uh, to implement into their life, to get them moving, to get them living in the life, the mission-focused life that God has intended for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, think about mission. Like, you know, I lead mission trips back to the, you know, the island from which I served. So served in the Peace Corps and where my salt happened as part of my healing journey as well. But mission doesn't have to look like international, like, development work that's Christian-based. You know, mission can literally be, um you know, in your own neighborhood. I think about this neighborhood where our house is. And and when it's warm outside, there's an abundance of children, you know, that just kind of flock to our doorstep, you know, and, you know, those children, I'm not sure if they have lots of resources in their home, you know, and so just having, making sure that we have snacks and drinks, you know, for for the kids when they come by, um, just because they literally may be hungry. You know, that is part of mission and and the work of Christ, you know, loving our neighbors and and doing what we can um, to serve and to do literally what Jesus would do, Um, you know. um, But I would say, you know, think about it doesn't have to be something I mean, it can or it can't doesn't have to be. But think about something that you're passionate about, an issue, a cause. Um, It could be locally or or nationally um, and get involved right? If it's, if it's volunteering, if it's sending an email, if it's making calls, if it's donating, um, sometimes with mission work, it's the little things that are big things, but if you want to make mission a lifestyle, you know, I would say commit to something that you're passionate about, um, even get, if, 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 if you can't find like a, a mission buddy, you know, this part of the organization. Connect with a friend or a family member that may that's like minded that may actually be an ally with you in those efforts, so that you're not alone, you know, in the mission work that you're you're wanting to do, and you have kind of an accountability partner for serving, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I find that that can be helpful as well. Yeah. I um, so I great... say just yeah. Go
0: ahead. Sorry. I'll go ahead, Tim. I would say that's a great piece of advice, because I know sometimes when we when we get started into something we're passionate about, we can get easily discouraged um, because yeah. we might, might not have the success that we envision right away. So having that accountability partner or joining in an organization that may be already successful and you just start in mm-hmm. volunteering, I think, is a good as a good piece of advice.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, some we don't always have to recreate or reinvent, you know, the wheel. A lot of times there are organizations that are doing great work. But even if you want to create, if you want to create something, um, you know, it's still important to learn from other organizations that have done this work, you know, for much longer. You know, for us, Thistle Farms in Nashville, Tennessee is the first. Um, survivor-made social enterprise in the country where Reverend Becca Stevens really modeled for me before she was even a mentor to me, like what could be possible for uh, a mission-focused, Christian-based organization that's led by a woman minister that serves women survivors of violence and and creates a Bath and body social enterprise. So I knew that it was possible because I saw someone else do it. Yeah. And I went there to learn from them to really um, you know, engage in, and see what I could learn. And they were very open about sharing their wisdom and knowledge with, with me so that I could have a firm foundation in starting Argos House. And other organizations will do that for you because we know that we need each other. You know, we can't do this work alone. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah,
0: very good. Hey, where can our listeners find you as far as uh, I know yeah. you've some. You've written some books. I know that. Uh, maybe those mm-hmm. would be some spots. Maybe you can direct some people to Facebook, other things. Just give us some ideas where they. Go. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. So you could just go. So Argos House. All of our products are on ArgosHouse.org. A um, r g r o w s h o u s e dot org. For my books, I wrote a children's book on uh, Richard Allen, and it talks a lot about nonviolence. Richard Allen is the founder of the. African Methodist Episcopal Church, Um, and then I wrote a devotional book called 101 Testimonies of Hope that includes people's testimonies from all around the world, and also artwork and other creative ways that shares devotion, Um, and that can be found at um, kidevansboard.com is my website, Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you can also call the Argos House phone at 563-528-0892, Um, but thank you all for your time and be encouraged. You know, the work that you desire to do and the work that you continue to do is not in vain. Um, You know, it's sometimes it's the little things that are big things um, and Jesus knows your heart. Um, So thank you for, for caring and for listening to this podcast.
0: Yes. Well, thank you very much. It was great having you as a guest and uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime. All right. Okay. All right.
1: Blessings, Tim. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: This has been A Mission Focused Life with Tim Olofson. Find us online at missionfocusedlife.com as well as on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash missionfocusedlife. You can subscribe to the video version of this show on YouTube and the audio version on Spotify as well as anywhere you get your podcasts.